Right, just checking out the time. Well, when they say do vision in 20 minutes, you've got to like half an hour, I don't know, if I was Adam 40. Um, well done, church, laughing, yes. Um, it's a big subject. It's a big subject, and uh, we're going to begin with looking at our new vision statement. I'm not going to go over all the vision statements like everybody else has, because I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting the idea that we all know we have new vision statements. Yes, two new ones. Well, one revamped. This one's revamped. One new one. These are who we will choose to be as a church before God. But this one says, by God's spirit and working in partnership, we are committed to living generously, challenging the cultures and systems that create injustice, and actively loving those affected. Okay, I'm clicking the button, and the button is not clicking. Oh, oh, right, yes, there we go, that's the one. So Justin Welby, the Archbishop, Archbishop of Canterbury said, seeking justice is absolutely central to Christian faith. Christians cannot escape participating in politics because seeking justice and the common good are absolutely central to their faith. We don't speak about common good and justice because we think we have some automatic right to be heard, he said, but because loving our neighbor places responsibilities upon us. We have responsibilities to speak even when it might be easier to stay quiet, to point to justice and to challenge others to join us in doing what is right. Now, the whole justice area is tricky. I think sometimes knowing what the right thing to do in any given situation is difficult. Thinking through the impact your choice will have on the whole world sometimes is so overwhelming that we decide that doing nothing is easier than doing something because the something we do might not be right the right thing to do anyway it's tricky but as Justin Welby says this is about what it is to be a Christian this is central to our Christian faith so what I'm going to do to start off with is go through a whole bunch of scriptures there are so many scriptures to do with righteousness and justice, and that then being the heart of God. But this morning we're going to go through some of them just to ground ourselves, to know that Justin Welby's right, and there isn't a lot we can do about it. This is very central to who we are. So in Deuteronomy 10, 17, 18, God describes himself like this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. That's how God describes himself. And in Jeremiah 22, 15 to 17, in this one, God is talking to now, Josiah was one of the good kings. This is Josiah's son, who was not so great. But he's talking about his father when he said, did you not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so that all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. 
Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. So not only is our God good and just and we are called to be like him, but he is also saying out loud, if we want to know him, if that is not what it is to know me, if we want to know him, then we actually actively have to engage in justice. Moving on to the New Testament. This is in, um, this is in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you who was coming after me, but was in fact ahead of me. He has always been ahead of me. He has always had the first word. And we live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses. Then this exuberant giving and receiving, the endless knowing and understanding, all came through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression, who exists at the very heart of the Father, has made him plain as day. So God, in the form of Jesus, comes and he moves into the neighborhood. And then he declares, when he stands up in the temple, he declares, the spirit of the Lord is on me. No, sorry. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. So God is good and just and righteous. He says that if we want to really know him, we need to be like him and do the things he does and be good and right and just. He chose to move into the neighborhood with us and when he did, he said, justice is there amongst my top four things. Top four things on his agenda. To proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His mission, evangelism, compassion, justice, and the glory of God. It's really difficult for us to get past the concept that as Christians, we need to actually actively engage with justice. It's not actually optional. It's an issue of heart. When God talked to... No. Joe, I've just elevated you really high. When Joe talked to us a couple of weeks ago... We'll just go, it was the bit that looks like God in Joe. Um, about the new vision statement, the one that is to do with worship... By God's spirit and working in partnership, we are committed to becoming a community where Jesus is wholeheartedly worshipped, deeply experienced, and clearly known. He talked about this scripture. The most important one, when asked what the, what the most important commandment was, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the God, 
Love the Lord. Mm, try again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this: love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. When Joe was talking about the worship vision statement, he talked about the first half of that scripture. He talked about us loving God with our hearts, our souls, and our minds, being like the statement that we want Jesus to be wholeheartedly worshipped, deeply experienced, and clearly known. But that goes on. And actually, our two vision statements, the worship one and the justice one, they kind of butt up together. We have this sense that if we clearly and wholeheartedly worship Jesus and deeply experience him and begin to know him more and more, well, as we've already read, knowing him more and more involves us getting involved in acts of justice. Adam will often call um, our neighbor the other, the person that is different to us, the person that is something, who is, the person who is just simply different to us. And if we choose to love them and see them as important, loving our neighbor as ourselves, to do unto others as we would have done to us, loving our neighbors as ourselves, then we begin to act more generously because there we are intrinsically generous to ourselves and so we become more generous outwardly. And honestly, as a church, we are one of the most generous places that I have ever met and ever been. Please don't hear me say that we are not a church who fulfills acts of justice every day. Because when I, well, I don't know if you've ever written anything by committee. It's not the easiest thing to do when there's 13 people, 14 people sat in a room, all deciding three sentences. Everybody has an opinion over each word. It's quite a scary thing. And you sit back and you think, oh, I really couldn't care less. Until you really do. And then you sit there and you go, no, we can't say it like that. <laughs> Which is fascinating for somebody who generally goes, yeah, it's fine, whatever. It really wasn't fine. But as we wrote those words, I began to see the things that we do. As we wrote the words about us, mm, if I don't read it, I'll get it wrong. Living generously, challenging the cultures and systems that create injustice and actively loving those effective, affected. I saw Job Club. These guys and girls, mostly guys, come in. They are affected by the system unjustly. Most of them don't know how to use a computer. They are affected by a system Injustly, so they come to us and we love them. And we don't always, when I say we, corporate we, Ian, we don't necessarily find them jobs, but we love them in the midst of their circumstances. I see cap, you know? People caught in systems and cultures that have trapped them. Our, our culture that says, you want it and you want it now and you need it now. And, or our culture that keeps people rich and other people poor. And... 
we do our best to help them, but we don't necessarily solve all their problems. But we are generous to them and we love them in the midst of it. And Steve gives Christmas parcels that any person would be glad to receive because we're a generous church and we take part in acts of justice. I see the Lord's larder that gives more food out now than it has ever done. And we are glad that the churches are generous and we give out more food than we have ever done, but we're giving out more food than we've ever done because the systems and the cultures are broken. And we shouldn't be because actually it's not fair. But what we're doing is we're loving people in the midst of it all. We see it in Yeovil for Family where families are caught in poverty, they're caught in dysfunction, so we come in family mentors, single people mentors, they're there to help and love people in the midst of their circumstances and help them find a way out. And not just in this country, in Asher, Dick and Julie, some, I think maybe some of the others are in Asher at the moment. We see ourselves acting justly, loving the poor, bringing medical aid, bringing education to people who need it, in Hope for Kids, in Everywhere I turn, and I've probably missed, as Malcolm says, a hundred other things that we do. And those are just the organized things that we do, you know? I see it in the room, I see it in teachers, I see it in mental health professionals and not mental health professionals, people standing up for the rights of each other. I hope that when we read it, each one of us sees a little bit of ourself inside it and goes, I don't want the world to be like this. I want to be a generous human being who sees Jesus, sees God in the face of our neighbor and wants to help them, wants to change stuff, wants to do stuff, wants to move life on and love people in the midst of our circumstances. Um, I mean, in, in, in our circumstance... I always stand up here. What people say to me, they say, oh, Sarah, the people who like my talks come and tell me, oh, Sarah. The people who don't like my talks generally don't come and talk to me, which is probably a good thing. They come and they say to me, I like what you say because you talk out of where you are and you don't say everything's lovely and wonderful. You generally go, oh, life's really hard in a positive kind of way. we foster carers and you know whenever you say yes of course I'll do a talk God laughs I think well he laughs at me because he goes okay you think you can do a talk on justice do you marvelous okay so how about this in your life because I'm not going to stand up here without integrity and say I have got justice sorted in my life I do not have justice sorted in my life I have, sometimes I have the wrong perspective of loving your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes I love my neighbor way too much, way more than me. That's a bit of an issue too, because you're not supposed to do that either. You're not supposed to give and give and give until you die. It's not actually what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give of who you are and the God in you. And you're supposed to raise the person up in front of you and love them well. So God says, okay, so how about another foster child? I'm like, have you seen how ill I've been? And he's like, well, you know, we could have a look. I'm like, fine. 
when would you like me to have this other foster child just for respite, just for the weekend? How about on the weekend you're talking about justice? Oh, yes, <laughs> great. Anybody who's ever been up the front and done a talk on a Sunday, Sunday morning, you'll know Sunday afternoon all we really want to do is lie down in a dark room and sleep for a few hours. No, let's have a foster child with us. Another one. Great. Yay. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. She's gone upstairs. I can say all these things. We didn't even know what was going to happen this morning. It's all good. I did watch and check. It's crazy. And sometimes when you logically discuss these things, we logically discussed it, Phil and I, we logically sat down and we went through all the pros and cons and we came to the conclusion it was not a good idea. And then we came back to each other a few hours later and went, oh, it doesn't feel right, does it? No, it doesn't feel right. We probably ought to do what God is suggesting then, shouldn't we? <sighs> Pants. And here we are. Because... What God took me to, as I have been having all this to and froing and arguing with him, as I do, if you ever argue with God, don't feel like you're on your own. And don't feel like us in the leadership team have got it all so sorted that on the first time God says, jump, we go, how high? No, no, we will row quite a lot. God took me to the Good Samaritan. And he said, okay, what were all the reasons... So that which is, after he'd said, love your neighbor as yourself, the guy said, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is, is walking past, and this poor guy's been beaten up, robbed at the side of the road. But before the Good Samaritan comes along, a whole bunch of very holy, lovely people come past. Priests and Levites, who I think is also like priests, I don't really know. They all come past, all these good people, like us, good people, and they say all the reasons why they shouldn't help him. It's dangerous, you know, might be a trap. Somebody might leap out and beat me too, might steal my money. It's dirty, it's costly, it's messy. I'd have to get involved, might be dangerous, it's erratic, and it might make me unclean, and I might get tarred with the same brush that he's been tarred with. And I went, <laughs> okay, yes, okay, having another foster child. Messy, costly, erratic, yeah, all right. And then a very wise friend of mine also said, which doesn't necessarily affect my situation, but also said, and he did all of these wonderful things, put him on his donkey, took him to the man, and then he paid the man to deal with the rest of it for the next few months, because actually sometimes we need to be a signpost. Sometimes we need to pick the person up and take them to somewhere safe, and then actually somebody more qualified can deal with them. Sometimes that's the way it works. Sometimes we pick the person up and they aren't ours forever, and sometimes they are. And I, yes, and we don't know the, the outcome of a lot of the decisions that we take. So will these things that God asks us to do sometimes be costly in the area of justice? Yes, they will. Does that mean we shouldn't do them? No, it doesn't. But who is our neighbor? I think that's an interesting question because like, when Jesus answered that question, that was somebody in distress. 
When we talk about neighbour, we talk about, you know, the person who lives next door. And when we affect that person, it's generally because we've done something insensitive. We've parked in front of their house, we've put up our fence two centimetres too far into their garden, our cat is not good, they've had a barbecue, they've kept the kids awake, yeah? Generally, our actions or their actions are the things that affect us, the things that we don't like. But the world has changed. <laughs> and there's a phrase that says we live in a global village now. And the impact of our everyday life, sometimes our inconsiderate acts have effects on a whole bunch of other people. We're going to have a look at some pictures. Um, we're going to try and look at some pictures. Oh, oh, look, I've missed a whole bunch of... Yeah, we read all of those. Right, this one. These are tentatively called living cubicles, and they're in Hong Kong. Those people have got a lot of neighbours. Okay, I've got a whole bunch of slides. If you know where any of these places are, let me know. You can shout out, it's all right. It's not just Steve. Everybody is allowed. <laughs> Where's that one? It's Coronation Street. It is. See? Neighbours. What about that one? Paris. Paris. Arc de Triomphe in the middle. Ah, this one. Really warm. <laughs> that is the most densely populated place in the world. That is... I'm going to say it wrong, Snotch Park in India. But that Snotch something, sorry Coralie, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even read it. <laughs> Most densely populated place in the world. That one. Central Park, New York. For those with Netflix, you know, Friends is now on Netflix. There's a, in my house at the moment, there's a lot of Central Park being on the telly. That's more difficult. Anyone? That's Amsterdam. This one's in central Sudan. It's the Yida refugee camp. That one should be easier. Venice, yeah, Venice from Google Earth. Straight lines are the red brick should give this away. It is Barcelona. Well done, Lydia. You weren't there with me when we were sorting them out. Um, this one is just in because I think it's really pretty. This is Bortang in the Netherlands. But I think as a neighbourhood goes, that's the way I design mine. Some of you have been here, I know. No, that's Marrakesh in Morocco. Oh, this one. Oh, out of focus. Yeovil. Yeovil. Yeah. That's Yeovil. <laughs> and that one. Adam would know if he was here. That's the Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> He'd have been the first one to shout it out, but he would. Adam Pritchard, not necessarily Adam Dyer. Adam Dyer's not so big on camping. True story. 
neighborhood has got a lot bigger. Our world has got a lot smaller. Our neighborhood has got a lot bigger. What we do affects the people in India. What we do affects the people in the refugee camp in the Sudan. What we do as a culture affects those people living in living cubicles in Hong Kong. And this is where ethical living, the other side of justice, becomes really important. Because where I buy my clothes suddenly has an impact. When I decide to drive my car and not drive my car, suddenly has an impact on my neighbor who I can't see. I had, <laughs> I had a real girl issue this morning. I, um, when I get home later, I have a lot of clothes to put away in the wardrobe. And I forgot the most important thing. If you want to wear the Britney headset, you actually have to wear something with a belt. So I totally forgot that entirely. I probably own more fairly traded clothes than a lot of people in the room. But the trouble is when I wear my fairly traded clothes, it's quite difficult to take me seriously. Because I look like this boho kind of hippie. That's what the mum, I used to get called that at the school gate. You know, you know, Sarah, the hippie, the one who wears all the clothes and the got asked, no, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. I got asked once by somebody, uh, because I was dressed that way, if I had any cannabis. I was like, <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> you make assumptions, don't you? But you do. You make assumptions. And, I, and so I put on all these clothes and I went, well, no one will take me seriously if I'm dressed like this. So I made a compromise and I did wear a jacket, but I've left it down there because like, it, it's really difficult. It's really difficult because issues of justice, issues of ethical living, they stress people out, no end. If there is nothing like it to make you feel overwhelmed, guilt-ridden. Oh, my word, I have to think about every small thing that I ever do, like which clothes I'm going to wear today. Because everything I do has an impact on everybody else. Oh, my word, how do I get out of bed in the mornings? And I've heard some kind of talks that have made me go away so filled with guilt and so feeling overwhelmed. Well, I've probably gone and eaten cake because I haven't known what else to do. You know, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because actually everything we choose to do has an impact on someone else. We were looking at, well, we are still looking at the whole issues of what kind of cups we use on a Sunday morning. I, in my naivety, thought it would be something that was really easy to sort. Oh. No, it's really not, because everything I think has an impact on somebody else. And I sat there with all of the impacts it had on everybody else and went, oh, my head hurts now. You think it would be easy to make a step forward, and yet it isn't always. When you go and buy a cheap piece of clothing, I'm not going to name any shops, but you know, you, you know the ones you go and buy something cheap and you go somewhere else this has cost me six times as much now sometimes when we pray we can go well god this is all the money i've got and your heart will go and you know i i appreciate this was probably made in a sweatshop but if i don't give the money then and i don't buy this 
then no, that person isn't going to eat. Where's their income going to come from? And on the other end of the scale, you may go, I'm going to boycott this and I'm going to go to the charity shop because I want to challenge the system and the culture that allows anybody to have to work in a sweatshop. Our hearts before God are the things that are important. It's important that the system and the culture gets changed. And my dear friend Joey would say, and if you do go and buy that, that item of clothing, just, just send a letter or an email or a tweet to the particular company and go, you, shouldn't, you should really be paying a fair wage to your employees, which is really easy for her I don't live in those kind of straight lines always. Sometimes by the time I've gone home, I've thought 700 other things. I, had, I don't remember that that's what I was supposed to do. It's difficult. It's difficult. But if we want to challenge our consumerist throwaway society, we may choose to buy fair trade. But you know, buying fair trade, it's expensive. Oh, we're back to the Good Samaritan again. Do you know what? It's costly. And I have to choose. I have to choose where to put my money. And do I want fewer clothes? And do I want to be accused of being the hippie on the playground? Do I want to buy fair trade bananas? Do tea, coffee. Do I want to stop using plastic because there's an island the size of Texas full of plastic in the Pacific? There's the word. Do I want to do that? Do I, oh, but, but oh, that's a lot of effort. I'd have to go to six different shops rather than just going to Tesco's. I'd have to use the butcher and the greengrocer again. Goodness me, how inconvenient. It's tricky, isn't it? I'm not telling you what's right or wrong, but we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to think about the impact we have on our neighbor and to view their well-being as important as our own. But our individualistic society, that particular culture in which we live, would tell you, actually, no, you're the important one. So if we want to challenge a culture and a system, the culture and the system starts here. Most of those cultures and those systems start inside my head. Before we want to change the world, we might have to change what goes on inside here. The thing that says, I am more important than everybody else so I can do exactly as I please. Maybe the culture is that actually, everyone is important. Ethical living, like any area of justice, is difficult, costly and inconvenient. Sometimes that cost is financial, Fair trade, organic, locally sourced, comes with a price tag. Reusables rather than consumables sometimes mean they take more time to clean. Walking takes longer than driving. Sometimes you get wet in the rain. But we all have an impact on our neighbor. And I'm not saying if you can't walk. I, there are days when I can't get from my house to the gateway and I have to take the car. That's the way my life is. I can't do it necessarily, but there are other things that I can. Often, people will tell me that, um, well, 
my choosing to bring my own teacup to church is a drop in the ocean. Why should I bother? It's a, it's a tiny little thing. And there's a well-known story that people tell at this point. Now, I may have... Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I've lost the plot with my PowerPoints, but that's okay. We'll work it out. So the story is about a girl on a beach. Now, I think probably all of the young people will have heard this story. Probably everybody in the room under 30 will have heard this story, but bear with me. So there's a girl on the beach the morning after a storm, and the storm has tossed up thousands and thousands of starfish onto the beach. And the girl is stood on the beach picking up a starfish and putting it back in the sea. Picking up a starfish, putting back, it back in the sea. And a guy comes along, walks along the beach, and he goes to her, what are you doing? It's like, I'm saving the starfish. Stupid man. And he's like, but you're never going to make a difference. She's like, I'm making a difference to this one, and I'm making a difference to this one. And it's a good story. But I read a book recently that talks about it in a different kind of way. And I had the name of the book in my head, and Rachel reminded me of it last night. I can't remember what it is. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And he tells the story this way. He says, so there's the girl on the beach, and now I'm going to call her Vicky because she's got her phone in her hand. And she has taken pictures of all the starfish on, on the beach. She's put it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and any other social media platform that I can't think of at this moment. She's texted and tweeted all of her friends. And half an hour later, there are a thousand people on the beach saving the starfish. And another one, and so, you know, an hour later, all the starfish are back in the sea. Because together, in the global village in which we live, which is so much smaller and everybody is my neighbor in a very different way, it's much easier to have an impact. And somebody in that group of people, let's call him Adam, because I'm imagining it's the one who it would be, would say, so how do we stop this ever happening again? Now, that's not a system and a culture. You can't turn to God and say, how do we... But how do we change that system? I don't know. Can we put a break in somewhere that stops the... I don't know. I'm not clever enough to think that. But somebody else is. And the power of us doing things together is really important. So when we choose to make a small act, when we choose to take our starfish and throw it into the sea... When we do it together, we do actually have a big impact on our world and on our neighbor. So doing a small thing becomes an important thing to do. We mustn't feel guilty or overwhelmed, but we must ask God to convict us. I believe guilt is not a God emotion. Guilt smothers us and drowns us in... <sighs> In just in heaviness, so we can't actually do anything. Convictions like a prod, where God goes, but you should do this, you should do this. He doesn't make you feel bad, 
doesn't make you feel bad. God is not a God of making you feel bad. He's a God of joy. But he does convict us. He does convict us and he does go, you should be. Oh, unless you've done something really, 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 really awful. I will put that caveat in. But in general, he's he's not going to guilt you into walking to college. He's not going to guilt you into giving out plastic bags. He's going to convict you that it's the right thing to do. So we need to um, have our eyes opened and our hearts changed to who our neighbour is, I think. I think that's where we begin. That God needs to soften our hearts so we value one another more highly. To feel his love for the widow and the orphan, the poor and the marginalised and the downtrodden of our world. Oh, is that? There is another slide somewhere. I probably made it all go. Where did it go? And we'll go through all the pretty pictures again. All the pretty pictures. Okay. Justice is doing for others what we would want done for ourselves. Here we go. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And this, as the Deuteronomy scripture at the beginning said, is how we know God in the face of the poor and the needy, in our acts of justice. For as we act justly, we become like him. So, we're all in very different places in this room on our individual journeys with what justice looks like. We're very good at being part of something bigger. Some of us are really good at ethical living. There are people in this room who put me to shame with ethical living. There are others of us who haven't even started on that journey because we didn't even realize it was a big deal for God. The place to start is with being generous. Generous with our time, generous with our finances, and with our prayer. The best way to think of the other person as important as ourselves really have gone on too long, is to pray for them, to get God to soften our hearts. And if you have a heart to love and be generous to a poor or marginalized group, then let's begin to pray for them. Get God to soften our heart, get informed, and be generous with your prayer life. Start praying for other people more than you pray for yourselves. Give your time to an organization. I have mentioned loads at the beginning, here in Yeovil or around the world, give your finances, be imaginative, and then look to change our own individual personal cultures, putting our neighbor higher in our thinker thinking, looking at our shopping cultures. Be generous, buy something fair trade. Think about not buying into our throwaway culture, reduce, reuse, recycle, make do. Look at our culture of convenience, and how much energy it uses. And then challenge the bigger cultures that marginalize. 
the ones that oppress. Sign petitions, lobby parliament. But in all things we must love, love the people and hate the system. In the scripture we read at the beginning, Jesus became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He was light that shined in the darkness. <laughs> and the darkness did not overcome it. Let's choose to be light in the world. So, I have come to the end. Can I have the photo that I emailed you, please, love? Um, so in a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to pray. If the guys, want, the band want to come back up. Um, and then we're going to have a moment of silence and we're going to ask God to lay something on our hearts. The one thing that he would like us to change, the small step forward that he would like us to change. This is an image of what is over here on the graffiti board. There are 400 small blue tack stars <laughs> on the beach. It's important that as we do this, we do it together. Together. Our little acts of justice. If we stand together and do our little acts of justice one at a time, we can change. We can change the system. We can change your culture. We can change the things in this world that are not good. So as the worship happens, oh, Joe's gone away again, as Aaron leads the worship, um, I want us to think about moving one of those stars into the sea, getting up out of our seat as an act of our worship, getting up out of our seat, taking a star, putting it in the sea, and going, yes, I'm committed to taking a small step, to beginning the journey, to going a bit further, to seeing more of God, because I'm taking part in justice. There are other stars down there. If you want to write something down that you've decided you want to do, take it home, stick it on your bathroom mirror, put it in your Bible. Make your commitment before God. So let's stand together. Lord, we thank you that you're good. Help us to be more like you. Open our eyes to the impact our lives have on our neighbours. Soften our hearts that we would value one another more highly. Help us to feel your love for the widow and the orphan, the poor, the marginalised, the oppressed and the downtrodden of our world. Help us to speak up where there is injustice, knowing that if we all play our small parts, systems and cultures can change and our world can be a better place. Speak to us, Lord. Give us your heart for the poor. Show us what you would have each one of us change or do or be. We love you, Lord. Help us find you and know you as we act justly, as we choose to be light in our world. Amen. <laughs>